2: You are very welcome to the Ireland's Birth Stories podcast. My name is Cora Gurnan. I created the space for women to share all of the details surrounding their pregnancy, labour, birth and everything in between without feeling shy about the detail. Sit back and enjoy over 100 hours of birth stories told by you, the listeners. Hello there. How are you all? How are you doing? How was your midterm? I didn't have a midterm for Oliver. I think he has a longer midterm summer or a longer uh, summer holiday no news here at all Um, just recording away in the background and still catching up from the big mess that was the no laptop situation keep sending in your submissions I see them I'm trying to get through them this I want to talk more about this week's episode so Emma shared her birth story I remember getting her email but I think it was back in July, and in her original message, she sent me an email to say that she wanted to share her birth story, and she was coming out of postnatal anxiety and depression. And when I get an email like that, I'm like, "Yes, I feel so happy for that person that they have come through it or are starting to see the light." Um. So I was delighted. I remember sitting outside the back garden. The kids were playing. The sun was shining, and it just felt like a really nice moment. I was delighted, and then. Um, so I knew Emma's story was going to be one that I'm, would resonate with a lot of people, even a touch of what she went through. But in speaking to Emma, she then told me that that wasn't even the tip of the iceberg. So although she did, at that time in July when she sent me the email, did feel in a, in a really good place, um, she was still suffering and she talks us through that in this episode. So Emma talks about conception, so the pregnancy and birth of her little boy she talks us through conception how she felt through her pregnancy she had gestational diabetes she talks me through giving birth and not feeling that connection that love that we all especially first time around feel that we're or or expect to feel straight away which isn't it's not always love at first sight which i have said before um for Loads of reasons. Emma's really honest in this episode. She shares her experience with postnatal depression. So she's 18 months down the line now. Um, Some of what Emma's shared is it's really struck a chord with me. So I'm really frustrated at the moment with the lack of support in communities. It seems to be down to us mothers who are already stretched enough as it is, trying to keep our own families afloat. with the coffee mornings, that some of us here are nice sort of coffee morning. Uh, we struggle to do it. We love it, but we struggle to do it because we're trying to continue with our own lives and keep our own houses running. But it's really hard. Um, I see all these estates bursting up everywhere, all over where I where I live. But yet I see no. Why? Why is there one coffee morning where I live? Why aren't there? Why aren't they on five days a week? Why isn't there more support? why isn't someone dropping, why doesn't someone know that all these pregnant women are ready to pounce or drop a flower, a hot cup of coffee, cake, a hot meal, hold a baby for an hour, just drop at their door when they don't want necessarily want it but they know that there's someone around who's looking out for them. It's, it's driving me mad. It has done for a long time and two of the interviews that I've had this week, both women have suffered with postnatal depression. Significantly. In this episode, Emma shares some really dark moments. You might not be in a place to listen to it. She talks about suicidal thoughts. And she talks about like crippling anxiety as well. So I'll leave it up to you whether you want to listen to Emma's episode. If maybe it's not for you, this episode might be for someone else to listen to who's maybe... Suffering at the moment through postnatal depression or anxiety, or who has come out the other side and just needs to hear someone else's story, or maybe uh, a loved one who is supporting someone who's going through it. I actually think everybody uh, who is it who can listen to this episode should, for so many reasons. I have goosebumps now as I'm as I'm doing this introduction because I feel so passionate about the postpartum period of people's lives and just the lack of support, the lack of readiness um but for me anyway uh, the lack of awareness of what actually what we actually go through apart from the beautiful moments that we all have as families as new mothers um with our partners as well but those moments that feel really dark and way too big to deal with on our own that's what's frustrating me i have some ideas if I'm honest, I'm already struggling with the podcast, so I don't know how I'm going to execute anything else. But there's people that I can speak to, they can, if they can do it, I'll just keep talking to them. Um, so send me an email if you have an idea. Send me uh, a message on Instagram or something and let me know if you have an idea. I've said it to the two people I've spoken to this week. As a result of their experience, tell me what you needed and I will see what I can do, there's a uh, podcast, uh, sorry, a website that Ebba mentions here that was an incredible support to her. But again, it, not why the in-person meetings aren't available nationwide and they just should be. OK, I'll stop going on. I'll let you listen to Emma's story. Thank you, Emma, from the bottom, bottom of my heart for sharing as much as you did. I know it was really hard to dig deep and revisit everything. So, yeah, thank you. So, Emma, you are very welcome to the Ireland's Press Stories podcast. I'm looking forward to sitting down and have a chat with you. I know you have a lot to share in your story. Um, and I think we, we spoke a, a long, long time ago, and I know you spoke about postnatal depression. And um, at the time you said you were suffering from it, but you were working through that. And I, I think that's going to be an important part of your story to share with others that are going through the same or to hear... Someone else's story through your words is, will be important as well. So, do you want to give us a little introduction uh, to you and your family, and then we'll talk about your story?
3: Yes, of course. Um, my name's Emma, and I live in Offley. I'm thirty, and I'm um, married five years this year, and I we have a little boy called Gordon, who's a year and a half. He's twenty months, but <laughs> no one likes to hear the months. I know. I know you hold on to them, though, don't you? Yeah, you do. It's shocking. I never thought I'd be one of those mothers that counts by months. But look, here we are.
2: I know. Um, So do you want to just talk us through conception?
3: Yeah, so me and Barry, my husband, like we always knew we wanted to have a child, but uh, it was never the right time. Like we wanted to go travel, uh, blah, blah, blah. And um, the year COVID happened, we had planned holidays that summer. And then, of course, COVID happened in March and put a stop. Well, I suppose at the start, you didn't know how long it was going to last, but then it kept on going on. You were like, oh, right. okay." So I remember sitting down with Barry and saying to him, I think maybe now is actually the perfect time to try for a baby because the whole world has stopped. There's nothing mm. we can do. We have no excuses anymore. Um, yeah, so we decided, yeah, feck it, we'll try. And um, off we did. <laughs> we tried. <laughs> and we it, it did take maybe four months, I think, before we uh, got the positive, which, like, I think when you're younger, you think the first time you're going to try or not use protection you're gonna get pregnant yeah. straight away. I kind of had that in my head. So when I wasn't pregnant straight away, it kind of got to me. And from becoming a mother and being pregnant, like I really, really understand that I'm a warrior now, anyways. So um yeah, as the months rolled by, we um I just got more and more disappointed that I wasn't pregnant. And then you were hearing other people getting pregnant, but um the kind of the month that it happened, we had decided to stop putting pressure on ourselves. And like I had been tracking ovulation and like I didn't know really anything about that beforehand. Mm. But, you know, the minute you want to try, you're on all the forums on Reddit on what to expect. And um, yeah, so but what what happened? Yeah, I think we went out food shopping one day. And when I came back, I said to Barry, uh, sure, we'll just... Uh, do a pregnancy test and um, at this point you weren't buying clear blue anymore you were buying the little strips yeah the multi-pack strips (laughs) (laughs) yeah um so I was like right we'll do that um and then we'll put away the shopping and I kind of did it and I think I came back out with the bathroom and then I went back in and I saw a faint line and I was like to Barry oh my god (laughs) I was like I think I I, was like, I think I'm actually pregnant and he was like no you're not no you're not do another one do another one so I did another one and that came back positive as well and he still wasn't uh, happy enough with that so he said you need to go down to the chemist now and get one a clear blue you need to get a proper test Emma and then we'll know so I went down to the chemist and of course that came back I was only like a week or two pregnant you know the way it comes up one to two weeks pregnant we just couldn't believe it we couldn't eat our lunch we were just standing in the sitting in the kitchen just like what what's happening like, you're shocked even though you're trying yeah. it's crazy so I went straight down to my mother because we live at the back of my mother's house um and I went straight down to my mother and I was like ma I'm pregnant and the tumors are just oh, and crying and we're like you know some people wait until the 12 weeks and I suppose Maybe they're right to do it. Um, but I don't think I could have ever waited until 12 weeks. Like I just couldn't hold my pace. <laughs> so then I came back and um we went down and told uh Barry's mother and father, and they were delighted it would have been their first grandchild. And yeah, then it just spiraled out of there. We told everyone that was in our lives basically <laughs> that we were expecting. Um and I didn't really have any like telltale signs. I think I was a bit nauseous before I found out I was pregnant. And uh, so I was, what was that one, one to two weeks pregnant. And then as the weeks progressed, I think when I was four or five weeks pregnant, I got really, really ill. Um, As in like, I couldn't stop getting sick one morning and I think it had went on all night and into the morning. So we rang um my doc and um, you know, the Midlands, mm. whatever I have offers. So we rang them the Saturday morning and um they they just said to go straight into Mullingar because I, I like I was just weak, I couldn't even keep down water. So we went into the hospital and um I was put on a drip then and felt much better after that and got the injection in the hip you know sometimes they give that to stop you puking and yeah I felt great after that but I was still really sick day to day like every morning I was puking um just like I suppose uh, like I say I had hyperemesis um but it stopped for me after 20 weeks but I um my doctor put me on the carabin tablets okay Um, yeah so I was taking three of them a day and then she kind of said no like um, I don't be taking them if you don't need them so I reduced that down to taking one taking them only twice a day and then only once a day because I definitely needed it for the morning because every morning I would puke but um yeah it was just it was just really draining to be that sick all the time uh, and you're going around gray in the face and you're just like I can't do this I can't do this for another 20 weeks whatever um but, sorry were you working from home no I so the thing is me and my husband work in um in the t- in our town for his family they own a business and we work like five minutes from our house okay so like it couldn't have been more ideal that way like I could come and go as I pleased like if I didn't feel well or but you know sometimes when you're sick like that um you're better off being in work yeah. well I found I was better off in work distracted than being at home like I'd be more sick at home um but anyways I well when I was six six or seven weeks I went to the toilet and I had I just saw blood on the tissue and of course panic stations as well. So, um, we rang my doc again then, and she like, she just said, Emma, it's like, you're having a miscarriage. I need you to go into the hospital. So yeah, we were devastated, obviously. And, um, like we were going into the hospital, thinking I was miscarrying and I suppose there's nothing really they can do, uh, five or six weeks pregnant I didn't know this I was like they're going to give me a scan they're going to show me the baby's okay um but they don't do that they took bloods they kind of I suppose they'll check your HCG levels I think in the hospital and um they just gave me a letter and said look here's a letter to go to the early pregnancy unit the following week um and, you will know, then um, they just said, like, your HCG levels look OK, but we can't tell you anything. So that week was hard mm. waiting to go to the early pregnancy unit Um just not knowing whether you're going to be able to. <laughs> well, not me being able to, but whether the baby was going to hold on or not. And um, so, yeah, I think I was. But that makes sense then. Yeah, I was when I went to the EPU, then I would have been eight weeks pregnant. And it was the grimmest place I've ever been in my life, because obviously with COVID, everyone was wearing masks. You couldn't bring your partner. So it was like a really dimly lit room with just women, all women not talking to each other. Mm. Some women crying um, just waiting to see whether their baby was going to be alive or not, I suppose. So I found that really hard. But um, obviously the scan was OK. Um, and I got to see Gordon as a little tiny <laughs> sack. <laughs> Didn't even look like a baby. Um, and so that you, was good. Sorry, and, sorry. No, no, no.
2: Um, yeah. Did you still have sickness throughout that week that you were waiting? Yeah. OK.
3: Yeah, I did. I did. Yeah. So it was that like, where am I going to get sick? You know, like you're always panicking. You're like, "Oh God, I'm going to get sick in this waiting room." But I think when you're doing something different, you your body kind of stops, you, yeah? <laughs> If you get me. Um, did you see that yeah. sign?
2: Did, did you see or feel that the sickness still being there was a sign of comfort that maybe okay, this pregnancy? Yes. You? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah.
3: So it was people saying that to me. Yeah. Um, I don't know who said it to me, but they were like, "Emma, if you're this sick." Uh, Your baby's thriving. Okay. You know, and I suppose, I don't know if that is right or wrong, but um, I did take comfort in that because I was extremely sick. So I was like, oh God, this baby must be thriving. (laughs) Um, So yeah, all was good with that scan. And then they want to see you in two weeks again. So I went back and at 10 weeks, he was still growing or whatever. So we were delighted. Um, And then... I don't really know oh, like we booked it booked a private scan uh, so Barry could see the baby because um, you know the husbands weren't allowed in or partners weren't allowed into the hospital and um, so we booked our own uh, scan and that was really exciting because the difference in uh, seven weeks or eight weeks to 12 weeks mm. like they're proper little <laughs> looking babies jumping around the place and um, yeah so we just couldn't believe it. Um. yeah so then throughout went- your
2: pregnancy did you attend any classes I suppose all the antenatal classes would have been online then would they
3: Yes. Yeah, so yeah we stuck into them classes because we were just so excited yeah. Um. I did the two of us sat through the three antenatal classes and we found them really helpful and the midwife that was teaching them was lovely and you know we learned some things that we didn't know and then I sat through the, the um, breastfeeding one as well. And I remember actually in the antenatal classes they spoke about postnatal depression and um, anxiety. And I remember just thinking, blah, blah, blah. "Don't want to hear it. <laughs> you're putting it down around the pregnancy. Go out. <laughs> um, I suppose you don't want to hear it when you're pregnant. You just want to look at all the the good side of it. But um, yeah, they're the only classes we did. We did buy this package from the positive birth company um you know for um what is that even called i suppose trying to have a positive birth um what is that called hypnobirthing hypnobirthing yeah yeah um and like I got the book and I had all the audio and everything, but I just didn't read it and I didn't really stick it get stuck into it. Um, I like the idea of it, but um, I had always kind of said, "Look, I'm gonna go and I'll try no pain relief, but uh, if I need it, I'll take it." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, that's that's the way I kind of went with it. Um, uh, yeah, they're the only classes we did. We just kind of took it easy that way um and when did your um, sickness a sickness sorry subside yeah I think it was around 20 weeks when it when it kind of like I mean like that it, all the time it was gone but I would still every morning when I woke up I'd get sick it was just like so I knew I wouldn't have anything in my stomach to puke in the morning so when I go to bed I go to bed with a glass of water or juice so that when I wake up, I drink the juice so that I have something to get sick. Yeah, <laughs> if you yeah, get what I mean, yeah. it was better than the dry, just bile coming up then. um, Yeah, so that stuck with me all the time. But at least I wasn't sick, like feeling sick all the time or, you know, that way. Rough
2: way to start your day, though.
3: Rough. Yeah. Yeah. And then like when you're trying to brush your teeth, yeah, of course. the toothbrush being in your mouth. <laughs> I know. I know. It's shocking, isn't it? um but you know, thinking of it now like I'm just like oh yeah I definitely do that again no that, that wasn't that hard but at the time you're just like oh Jesus Christ like vomiting rough, is isn't just it?
2: it feels so unnatural it just takes everything out of you yeah, even so when you have a vomiting it? bug it's awful so yeah. I can't imagine like a neighbor yeah, who is. had hyperemesis the whole way mm-hmm. to two pregnancies like she was bedridden she couldn't do anything and I just oh, don't, I don't know how oh, she oh awful, no, awful how did
3: she go through it again yeah I know but it's true you do kind of forget yeah like you're like no it couldn't have been that bad you, you start telling yourself don't you yeah <laughs> yeah so um no like the so yeah the pregnancy was grand and then at 25 weeks um I had the gestational diabetes test and I got the call later on that day to say I did have it. So I was devastated. Oh, I just took it too personally. Like I was roaring crying to my husband. <laughs> just because you know you can't eat sweets and um and you also kinda are blaming yourself mm. even though it's not, which I learned then it's nothing to do with what like you're eating or anything like that. It's just one of those things. So yeah, I had to start pricking my fingers For the first two weeks, I think you have to do it seven times a day. (laughs) And it's just horrible. And then it's down to three times a day. Um, But I was lucky I didn't have to go on any um, medication any injections or tablets. Mine was like a handle with diet and exercise. So after dinner, um, I would, so straight after dinner, an hour after your dinner, you have to take uh, reading. So after my dinner, I'd get up and go for a walk. Straight away, because that's meant to help. I don't know if it does help, but it got me off the couch, anyways. So, just out um, of
2: curiosity, I never had it, but I've always been interested to mm-hmm. know like, what would say, just briefly, like breakfast, lunch, and dinner look like for you?
3: Yeah. So, um my breakfast, and this is no joke, like it's what I ate from when I found out I had gestational diabetes until the end, was two eggs fried and some rashers on half a slice of. Um, Uh, bread on toast because it's all about balancing the fats and the proteins with the carbohydrates so you obviously don't want to have too much carbohydrate because that turns into sugars And, and then the fats and the protein help level out your blood sugars so um I would put like a good decent bit of butter on my toast thinking that would balance out the carbohydrates and then the fat and the eggs was good. And then whatever, with the rashers or sausages, that would be my breakfast. And then you have to have like, so you have your breakfast and then maybe an hour and a half later, you have to have a snack. So I would have an apple and peanut butter (laughs) because that's another one that balances and it's nice and sweet. And then lunch would be chicken and some potatoes, like you'd weigh out how many potatoes you'd be having. And sometimes I'd have coleslaw or some sort of kind of fat um, that I knew would counteract the potatoes. Mm. Like it's all, um, you don't always get it right. And sometimes you check your bloods after the hour and it's really bad. And you're like, okay, I can't, can't go near that combination again. And then dinner, um maybe steak and potatoes um that didn't always work for me so I would have like a creamy pasta or something like that um at first like when you're diagnosed with it you're like oh I can't eat anything but then when you kind of get into it a bit more um you can you can work around it and you can make things taste nice (laughs) um yeah and so would you just remember
2: yeah sorry go on
3: Oh no 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 mine it's not even I was just saying when we got diagnosed it was me and two other girls in the group and we were devastated because it was pancake tuesday oh. and we couldn't have pancakes when we went home <laughs> Yeah things like that
2: yeah. I suppose was is there to the hospital educate you um on what you can and can't eat There
3: what there is a unit for diabetes and um you had to go to extra appointments um and the nurses would talk to you and they'd always be checking your bloods to check um how your how your sugars were doing I can't even remember what HbA1c was some sort of uh sugar level they checked over a long period of time so that would be checked every time you went in and uh yeah the diabetes unit we only went there once and we to watch videos and they went through foods you could eat. And there was a consultant she met as well. And every Wednesday, I think it was, you had to ring and give the nurses the numbers uh, of the readings you had taken for the week for your breakfast, lunch, dinner. And if they were concerned with the numbers, they'd ask you to come in or, you know, whatever, they'd watch you that way. Um. I still found it hard like Mm. because I I'm just mad like that. I joined um, subreddits um, for gestational diabetes and it just drove me crazy because I was looking at everyone else's numbers and comparing it and it was just like loads of scaremongering on it. And I remember when I was about 28 or 29 weeks, I came into the hospital for an appointment and I was talking to a midwife and I just broke down crying. And I was like, I just, I was like, I just can't sleep. I'm, I'm so worried about this gestational diabetes. And I thought I was doing something to harm Gordon. And I was terrified I was going to have this big, gigantic baby and, um, so it was actually a blessing because I got an appointment with the mental health midwife then. And she was brilliant. Um she just spoke through everything with me and uh she was telling me about how sometimes these forums are, this is no slight on American mm-hmm. people, but are full of Americans who like to treat pregnancy as an illness. Um, you know, sometimes. Um so yeah, I left there much happier and they put a like sticker on my file to say probably mental health, something, whatever. Um, and she, the the midwife had actually said to me, she said, Emma, if you look at all the women that are out in the waiting area now, you wouldn't believe when I tell you half of these women come to see me every week. Men, like, yeah. you know, and you don't think of and you do think you're the only one. Um, but uh, I was glad I finally broke down and asked for help with it um so I felt kind of okay about it for the rest of the pregnancy um god where that would get me to 30 weeks or so and I knew I had a scan coming up a growth scan for Gordon um I think that's at 34 or 36 weeks I can't remember and I was so anxious for that because you're just trying to see even though they're not 100 accurate you're just waiting to hear hear them say okay your child is eight pounds already you need to you need to slow down but it was actually perfect he the midwife said like he couldn't be any better he's no bigger than any other baby and yeah that gave me some relief I think I could relax into it for the last few weeks um, of pregnancy which I loved because I actually all these things that happened but I loved being pregnant like I never loved my body more than when I was pregnant yes, no. yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah I know it's crazy isn't yeah. it and you just want to show everyone your bump and yeah I was just so confident in myself um I loved it so much if I could go back to feeling my pregnant bump I would it's just it's oh, I know <laughs> it's yeah beautiful.
2: yeah and you'd like <laughs> I wore things that I would never wear again like I walked around in dungarees and so where I yeah. would have looked at people before and only dreamt of wearing dungarees like I looked enormous (laughs) but I was just like yeah Yeah. everything was puffy and swollen I loved it
3: (laughs) I know but you do you just have this confidence I I, yeah I don't know it's yeah it's really some people go one way and some people go the other way (laughs) but I think I I think
2: seeing a uh, a pregnant woman I think they're so beautiful I I love me too
3: (laughs) I never look at any other pregnant woman and I just think oh my god they're gorgeous and then I'm like they're probably see me staring at them yeah. like what are you <laughs> doing but I can't stop looking at them I'm the exact same. <laughs> yeah yeah I know <laughs> creeps absolute creeps <laughs> um yes yeah, so oh yeah so um uh when you have gestation and diabetes you're not allowed to go um two weeks overdue I think it's 14 days so you can go over um you're allowed to go max 10 days which is i don't know so i yeah i ended up being induced and i think that like 40 plus i don't know uh i'm gonna say two or three i asked for the sweep um because like i don't mind i just wanted to get something going but it didn't do anything. i kind of had cramps on the way home but no nothing happened Um, I think I lost my mucus plug a few days later, we thought something was going to happen, but never, just wasn't meant to be, (laughs) so um, yeah, I got induced when I was 10 days over, and um, God, it's just, yeah, I was, I I remember the day before and the morning of like, just not wanting to talk about it to anyone, because I think even when you're that pregnant, you're just so emotional, (laughs) Like And I knew if anyone was going to talk to me, asking me if I was nervous or anything, I would have just burst out into mm. tears. So I just didn't really. I was like, no, we'll be fine. We'll be fine. But yeah, it was scary walking into the hospital by myself Um, because obviously Barry wasn't allowed in. He had to wait outside in the car. Um, but when I went in, like the midwives did take such good care of me like because they know you're nervous and especially first-time mother Mm -hmm. of course you're going to be nervous um yeah so when I went in I they gave me the pessary um that was put in at nine and then just went back to the ward the um just the not the delivery like the labour ward and just sat there they told me I was allowed to Leave the hospital to go outside to Barry, but Barry wasn't allowed to come in to me. So every few hours, I would go out to Barry and we'd go for a walk and we'd do squats and lunges and everything, <laughs> trying to get things moving. Um, But yeah, nothing really happened until about four o'clock that day. I started to feel period pains. And sure, I thought I must be two centimeters, like, because I just had it in my head. I have to get to two centimetres so Barry can come into me. So every time the midwife would come into me, I'd hound her. I'd be like, can you please check me? Please check me. And they'd be like, Emma, if you can speak to me, <laughs> I'm telling you, <laughs> you are not in labour, Emma. <laughs> so, um, but that didn't stop me. I still kept on asking. Um, uh, but it was just very slow. And... um eventually I was going to have a bath then at 10 o'clock that night one of the midwives is giving running a bath for me and I just told Barry I was like look go home get some sleep it's a long day like I don't think anything's gonna happen there's no point waiting in the car park um and he was like yeah grand no butters. if anything changes tell me so I was like yeah grand and I got into the bath and it was lovely for about three minutes and I don't know what water does here or like whatever, but I was holding on to the side of the bath, like, what is this pain? Obviously, contract- contraction started, and, and I just text Barry then I think he had, yeah, no, he had started to drive home and I was like, no, Barry, you need to come back. I was like, I don't, I don't think uh I don't think or I think uh things are starting to happen, happening. Um so I called the midwife and at this point. I uh, had started to you know my bowels were opening (laughs) so I was like oh Jesus dear God (laughs) so I called the midwife and I told her everything that was happening and she brought me to get my pajamas on and I left my phone in the on the bed in the ward um, and she brought me to a separate room to monitor you know for half an hour that and in this time, Barry had been ringing my phone, texting, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, what's happening? What's happening? But I didn't know. Yeah, I didn't course, have my yeah. phone. So <laughs> yeah. we're busy. And I was just, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think he thought maybe I had gone into labor yeah, and I yeah. couldn't text him or whatever. God love him. Um, but I was lying on the bed going through contractions. And it's horrible when you have to lie down for the half an hour for, you know, the, oh, and you have to try to sit still. And next thing you know, Barry comes through. I was like, what are you doing in here? And he was like, sure, I didn't know what was going on with you. He said he had to sneak in. He waited for someone to open the door and he snuck in. And he said, is Emma cushion here? And they brought her, brought him into the little room and he wasn't meant to be. in. so when the midwife came back, she said, look, I'm not going to send you home, but you can't be in the actual ward until she's two centimeters so we she she stuck the what's it called um you know when you get the electric pads on your back um
2: oh the tens machine
3: yes so she was like do you want this and I was like yep yeah, that's grand because I didn't want to have the pethidine um because I just remember the midwife in the antenatal classes saying about how the pethidine could make your baby drowsy coming out so I was like look no I don't need that I'll have the epidural I won't have the pethidine <laughs> so I had the TENS machine and we left the ward and stood in the hall like kind of by where the stairs were and we were there for about two hours and it was just the most excruciating pain <laughs> I don't know like <laughs> contractions are no joke no. <laughs> um and I couldn't have Barry touching me like like just get off me just let me kind of lean with my eyes closed and he he said it was like animal sounds coming out of me uh, like everyone and moving and eventually so two hours later she brought me back in and she took my pessary out and I was two three centimeters and she brought me down to the labor ward then and I asked for the epidural straw and that was grand and she gave me the gas and air while I was waiting. I didn't have to wait that long for the epidural. I think uh, the anaesthetist was pretty much there anyways. So um, I had the gas and air, but that made me so sick. And I wouldn't mind. I had heard a midwife earlier on in the day explaining to another uh, woman in there how to take it, how to not get sick. <laughs> she was saying about how taking really, really deep breaths with it. So that's what I was trying to do what... Well, Oh, I just ended up puking everywhere. So that was taken off me, and um, you know what? The epidural was actually fine. Like, it's it is scary getting that big needle and um, everything like that. But when you're going through contractions, or when I was, anyways, you just do anything to take the pain Mm. away. Like, I honestly didn't feel the local anaesthetic, and I just felt pressure when the other part was going in, and. I'd say half an hour after it, I felt so much better. <laughs> it was great, um, but I think the labour had slowed down then, so um, it was kind of like every hour you were doing a centimeter, basically. So um, I don't know what time in the morning that was. I can't. I couldn't even say. All I know is I give birth at quarter to eleven the next morning, and um, so. Yeah, I think I was pushing for about an hour. And when the hour was coming up um, to the end, they said, Emma, if you don't get Gordon out, we're going to have to call the doctor. So um, I don't know. I think I just got him out then. Um, there was no big drama. There was like a change in midwives. Um, more experienced midwives had to come in. Mm-hmm um during it so there was about four or five midwives in the room but we got them out um which is just the weirdest no what it was actually weird was that even with the epidural you can still feel it like i thought grand epidural i'm going to be numb grand but like the pressure like (laughs) i don't know how women do it (laughs) without an epidural the pressure was crazy i was just like what what is happening um, but yeah it's just the craziest thing when you get the head out and uh, I yeah I remember feeling as the head was coming out and you're just shaking like you're like oh my god and um, then I I don't even know if there was a push but his body came out then and uh, we didn't know what we were having so Barry told me well Gordon was turned around And Barry told me, yeah, it's a boy, it's a boy. And we were delighted, like, uh, uh, we were all in shock. (laughs) Uh, Which you are, you just can't believe a baby came out. No, I know, yeah. (laughs) It just, yeah, because I can't really remember. It was just loads of commotion around there, but happy commotion. Um, And I wanted to breastfeed, so he was put, I think he might have been clean. He was put on my chest for a little while. Barry cut the cord after it went white and then I had to get stitches sorry I had a second degree tear and I had to get stitches I don't know how many stitches I got but they were down there for a while so (laughs) I'd say it was a good few um uh then yeah he was put back on my chest and I was breastfeeding and which it wasn't, it didn't feel like a natural latch or anything like that. Like I didn't know how to keep him on my nipple or anything like that, but I was happy to have him on it. And um, yeah, I just like looking back now, when people say about when their child is born, they're like rush of love and everything. Um, Cause I was talking to my mother-in-law about this. Like, I don't think, it's not that I didn't love him when he was born. It's just, I definitely didn't have that feeling of like, oh, my God, this is my life. Uh, I I love this this baby so much. Like I felt like I had to protect him and I wanted to feed him and make sure he was OK. But like. I yeah, there was a definite disconnect or something, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. just like looking, I'm like, whoa, like I cried when he was born and everything, but just Yeah. I, I, I did want to protect them, but there wasn't the instant love. Uh, not that you feel now or that I feel now from. Um, and I but think I, that's like, quite I common. Be, I think like if you spoke, yeah. I'm,
2: I'm sure you've spoken to your friends about this. Yeah. A lot of us feel the same. We're just like, yeah, thank God, that was deadly. But thank God it's over. And
3: I think like you have a sense of protection for them. Like yeah. you definitely do. But like for me, I, I didn't know how I could love him because I couldn't even say his name for a few days like I'd always refer to him as the baby the baby I just could not say Gordon like I was total disconnect there but yeah I think it is fairly common but it is lovely for women that do get the rush as well like I hope if I do get to have another child that I would experience it but I'd also know that in time the love will come yeah absolutely yeah (laughs) yeah so, um yeah, I think an hour after I gave birth, Barry had to leave then. And he wasn't allowed back in the hospital until seven o'clock that evening. And yeah, I just, I like, when he was leaving, I remember saying, No, yeah, you're grand, grand. It's like, whatever, it's fine. She sure, will see you this evening. But inside, I was shitting it, like, because you're just, okay, grand. So I'm meant to mind this baby. So am I by myself? Um, so we got set up in the bed, and I remember just uh, I said to the midwife once I got set, in, set up in the bed, all I wanted was a shower, I just wanted to get all the gunk and blood off me. And I just said to her, I was like, um, would someone be able to just watch him for minute, like whatever five minutes while I have a shower? And she said, No, no, I might. you can just wait until your husband comes. And you can have a shower then. And I thought, oh, Jesus, seven o'clock. Like, yeah, you would have been waiting seven hours for your shower. And um, all this time I was running to the bathroom back and forth, back and forth. I don't know if it was normal or not, but I was only like 20 minutes on the bed and I bled through the pad and through my pajamas. And I there was a nurse there and I just called her. Um. oh can you clean whatever and um, she said yeah that's no butters no butters and I would just go to the toilet every half an hour for a few hours to constantly change my pads like they were dripping with blood I don't know if that was normal um, I told the nurse once that um, I had passed a cloth that was probably the size of my fist and she was panicking saying um, oh do you still have it in the toilet and obviously I flushed it and she said that uh, you're not meant to pass a clot bigger than a 50 cent coin. So I was panicking then, but everything kind of settled itself anyway. So it, it it probably was OK for me.
2: And but that's um, actually a really good point, I, what you made there about the midwife saying about flushing it, because a lot of us yeah. just do that, especially first time round. So that's yeah. actually something that yeah. is could be notable for for women who are about to, give birth if they pass something to hold on to it or put it in a pad or
3: hold on to it yeah yeah because you don't know like you really don't you're just so used to just flush and disappear but yeah it is handy if you're worried about anything just hold on to it and call someone um yeah so barry came back at seven and i had my shower and everything and yeah i was fairly confident so that was wednesday and i said to barry sure i'm probably going to be in here till friday um and it, I like I was like it will be grand it will be grand, and that night like was just pure hell. That's all I can describe it. Like I was so tired. I'd been basically awake for three days at this point, and Gordon just wasn't happy. Like he was screaming, crying, and then I was so worried that about keeping the other two women in our room awake and. I'd call the midwives to come and help me and they'd whatever, you know, hold them in such a way to stop them crying and then put them back on my boob. But I just couldn't get the hang of putting them on my boob myself. And I remember it was probably like three or four in the morning and I text Barry and I said, I am coming home tomorrow. I don't care. (laughs) And um Uh, Yeah, I just couldn't stand being in there anymore because I was just so, I I just felt such a nuisance or, and I, yeah, I just, I don't even know how to put it into words. I just, I just needed to be out with there. So when it was about five or six in the morning, I packed all our stuff because I didn't care. I, I was leaving there unless Gordon was sick. Mm. I was getting out of there. I didn't care. And because there was a possibility, sorry, because I had gestational diabetes, Gordon had to be checked three times his bloods okay, um, to make sure they were OK. So um, the ones before that were fine. Um, so I was pretty sure that we would be OK. Um, but yeah, that was my first kind of like uh, kind of crazy thinking. I was like, no, we're getting out here like this is it. And I packed all my bags. I got dressed. And um, the first round of breakfast or that, when the midwife um, came around, I said to her, like, can I leave today because I want to leave? And she said, oh, oh, yeah.
0: I'll." How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment.
1: Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
3: Well, I'll go see. So they kind of kept on saying, Yeah, you definitely can. You just need to see the doctor. You know, the pediatrician comes around and um all these people. So time was going on and everyone was telling me I was allowed to leave. And um, like the pediatrician came, everything was fine. And I told Barry to come to collect me around 12 because by that time I thought, yeah, surely I'll be allowed to be discharged. And then, um, yeah, they just kept on pawning me off. I don't know why, if they want to keep you for a certain amount of time, but like no one was telling me, like they would just say, oh yeah, we just have to wait for such a person to come back from their lunch. And then like an hour would pass or that. And I just remember holding Gordon uh, and I was just roaring, crying because I just wanted to leave. And Barry was outside and I couldn't understand why they wouldn't let me leave. And um, at one point, the uh, midwife came into me and she had seen I was crying, but she didn't say anything to me. And she got the ball rolling then. And, um, you know, the way you have to watch a video before you leave. Did you have no. to do that? Yeah, we, I had to be brought into a room and watch a video I can't even remember what it was because I was so upset I think it was like showing you how to bat your child and just like basic things on what to do with your child when you go home it was like 20 minutes long I was just sitting in that room crying trying to breastfeed Gordon just so frustrated because I wanted to leave um but fair play to them they did let me go then it was about half two when I got to leave um and Barry was waiting for me. We were delighted. Um, and I sat in the back with Gordon and we pulled up and had a supermax <laughs> <laughs> just down from the hospital. So um yeah, I don't know what like how much you want to go into detail. Like um
2: you share as much as
3: yeah. Um yeah, so I was yeah, I think from The minute I had Gordon I probably had anxiety that I didn't know uh was the start of anxiety um I just had the uneasy feeling in my belly um but I thought that was just like you know adrenaline this is all new blah 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 but when we got home um yeah I was just so panicky like um my mother and my sister were there to see Gordon and uh but I kind of put them put them off because I was like no I have to breastfeed him first and then you can come up and see him and um they did wear and uh uh yeah when when I was finished breastfeeding then everyone came up to see him which I didn't mind who was coming up to see him like Barry's family and my family But I spent the whole time terrified of him crying um because he had just the oh just the most piercing cry and um you know like it's normal for any mother i think to just want the crying to stop um and especially only one day after having your child you just want the crying to stop um but i just felt it in my like in my bones like, like every fiber of me needed the crying to stop like um, I'd just whip him away and bring him into a different room to try. I'm not sure if I cried, like I could have cried um, that first day, just trying to get him to stop crying. Um, but then that night when everyone was gone and it was our first night together, like I still didn't go to bed. I stayed up with him that whole night because I just wanted to have the time with him. Um but I think the lack of sleep was starting to really uh, affect my body mm. <laughs> a lot, <laughs> as it does with most women. Um, so uh, probably the following night, we did try to I had the co-sleeper beside me in bed and we tried to put him into it. Um, but I just couldn't sleep like I I was just waiting to hear him cry or and he whimper like it is very hard to sleep with the baby beside you. Um. So we decided, probably after a few nights, we decided to split the nights between us. Um. So I would go to bed from nine to, and then Barry would sleep from two to whatever seven, and uh, yeah, it was very tough. Um. I suppose. We thought Gordon was just like a very difficult baby, um, because he cried like nothing else, like "Mm, it's uh one of the worst noises I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) Um, yeah, his 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 cry was like such a guttural cry. Uh, it wasn't like I've like I've heard other babies cry where it's like, um. You know, you have to tend to them mm. and uh, stop them crying. But this was like, uh, yeah, as I said, a piercing cry, and um, we just we just couldn't. He almost sounded like a little pig when he was crying, like it was, um, it was crazy. And because when my parents or Barry's mother uh, parents, sorry, uh, would be would hear him cry, like I could see in their faces that they'd be thinking, Jesus, that's a bit extreme. Um, but uh, now, not that it's anyone's fault, but like no one really said, Emma, that's not a that's not a normal cry, or like um do you know what I mean? And like I didn't know for my first one. I thought this is the way babies were, but we just got a really upset baby. <laughs> um so we just kind of uh fought through all the crying. For the first weeks, um, I, yeah, I breastfed, sorry. I was breastfeeding, but uh, because of the lack of sleep and everything, I kind of just went straight to pumping uh, so that Barry could feed him as well. Mm. So like when I had him, I'd put him on my boob. And when Barry had him, we'd give him the um, pumped milk. But we had also tried, because I needed a rest, and um, we had tried the little cartons of um, whatever you call the milk. I don't even know. Um, but he just wouldn't take it. Like he'd scream bloody murder uh, when we'd give it to him. And um, like, or sometimes he would suck the bottle. He'd suck, suck, then scream, crying. So we were like freaking out, trying to, oh, maybe it's the bottle. Because we had the Tommy Tippy bottles. And then we were looking up um, maybe what are the best type of bottles for breastfeeding mothers so we got the mam bottles and um that made a difference with the breast milk but he still wouldn't have cow's milk um so yeah we were kind of back and forth bringing him to the doctors being like is there is there something wrong with him uh, he never stops crying uh, and they they just tell us oh he's colic he's colic And that used to just do my head in, to be honest, (laughs) because knowing what I know now, like I honest to God, I could be wrong, but I just like, to me, colic is like, not a thing to explain why your baby's crying. Like, to me, there has to be something that's irritating the baby for it to cry, Um. I could be wrong but just from my experience now um so what happened was yeah he was just um puking like um when we'd have his milk he'd always be puking and then he'd be crying and he wouldn't sleep like the longest he'd sleep is an hour and a half two hours at the very longest like he that's it and the rest of the time he was just screaming. And I remember one time uh, I got Barry to ring the doctors and the nurse, the receptionist actually said, did you try bringing him outside into the fresh air? And I remember just thinking, do you think I'm stupid? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, and I know she probably didn't mean it like that, but I just took it so personally. Like, a, like, I know I'm my first time mother, but I'm not stupid. Did, there's something wrong with my child and um so she put us in for an appointment and I made Barry going with Gordon into the appointment because I just couldn't do it like I couldn't take another person telling us that <laughs> there's nothing wrong he's just colicky it's the purple crying period he's going to be like that for six months and like that the doctor just did say no he's just colic like there's nothing wrong with this child and um Yeah, it was really disheartening because they say to listen to your gut, and my gut was saying something's wrong with Gordon, but when you're going to the professionals, they're saying no, there's nothing wrong with him. He's he's just colic; like he'll grow over. He's fine. He's healthy. He's growing. Um. So then I went to the public health nurse one of the appointments, and um, I said to her, "It's like he." I said all the symptoms, blah, blah, blah. And she said, he sounds like he has um, cow's milk allergy. And the relief (laughs) that someone was actually listening to me. (laughs) It's crazy. Um, And she said, you need to ring your doctor straight away and get special milk from um, whatever. It's made in the lab. It's whatever. And so I rang and... Your ma- the man said um yeah it's whatever we're gonna um get a prescription for this type of milk and he said Emma, i promise he's going to be like a different child so um uh, he said that uh the milk is horrible and the babies don't like it but you need to push through it but i was like yeah no butters anything anything to make this crying stop so the next day we got the milk and um it really, truly is the most disgusting <laughs> stuff ever. And um, there's two types of milk. So, if your child has the cow's milk allergy, uh, there's the partially uh, digested milk of the protein, or the fully there's no um, protein in it. It's just complete the cow's milk proteins complete taken over. So, Gordon was first on the one that was partially digested, and. Um, Yeah uh, so at this point I was already a broken woman but I was just trying to power through because I wanted them to be better and so we brought my we brought Gordon over to my sister's house um, just so that she could see him and um, this was me and my mother we went over to my sister's house with Gordon and I brought this bottle of milk and I was all delighted with myself (laughs) he's going to drink his first bottle of proper milk and he's going to be happy because he's going to be full and he's going to sleep through the night. And so it was time for him to feed. And I made him the bottle and I remember feeding it to him and he just went crazy and my heart just sank. I like, I couldn't believe it. I was like, what straight away? I just went into full panic mode. I was like, what am I going to do? Like, this can't be my life forever. Um, I can't listen to this screaming anymore. And I was, yeah, I was just standing there panicking, trying to force the bottle into him. And uh, my ma said, Emma, just sit on the couch and breastfeed him. He's hungry. He needs, he wants his food. And uh, yeah, I just remember sitting there and I was so defeated. Like I just, I couldn't believe it. Um, yeah, I just couldn't believe that it was my life, that he was just so unhappy And I was so unhappy and uh, I text Barry and I said, oh, I tried giving him his bottle and he wouldn't take it. And uh, he said, it's fine. Like, we'll try again this evening or whatever. And I didn't even text back. I was just I hit such a low and we drove home. And I remember my ma and my sister who was coming back was trying to talk to me in the car And I just sat in the back and I just couldn't even speak. I was just, if I speak, I'm going to have an absolute breakdown. um, And you're not going to be able to fix me. That's how I felt. Um, So when we got home, I took Gordon out of the car and I I just walked up to Barry. And I just remember bursting out, crying to him. And I just said, like, I can't. I was like, Barry, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't. This can't be my life. Uh and I was panicking I sat on the couch and I was just roaring crying I was like this is going to be forever and uh yeah he he was calming me down trying to calm me down and like it was so bad that he had to feed me uh my food like I couldn't even eat like I was you know that low in such a low mood like I couldn't I just felt like I couldn't lift my head. I was in such a dark place. And um, like fair play to Barry for <laughs> trying to keep me going, uh that was probably the first time I felt uh that there was something wrong with me. Um um but later on that day, fair play to Barry, Barry persevered with the bottle. And he told me to leave the house, uh, go somewhere, go somewhere, listen to some music. And I'm going to give this child the bottle, (laughs) whether he likes it or not. And I went down to um, the boardwalk um, down by the bog and I just sat there and I cried. And uh, then Barry texts me, he's after having the bottle and it's fine. So, um, yeah, I felt much better then, but... But not also, like also, I didn't feel better because I knew, just like if I could get that low, um, it wasn't normal, you know, uh, it wasn't normal to get so down and depressed about something, uh, really and truly trivial, um, that wasn't normal. But I think I was kind of in denial as well. So this would be about five weeks, like. Gordon was only four or five weeks at that point. And um, I think every day I would kind of have highs and lows, highs and lows, but dealing with it. But um, I was asking Barry how he first knew that. Um, I'm probably jumping. And no, you're doing whatever, a great but... job. <laughs> um, yeah, I was asking Barry how he first saw that um, the signs of me having postnatal depression. And, oh, it really upset me because I couldn't remember it. Uh, He said that one evening we were uh, giving Gordon a bath, like we gave him a bath every evening and tried to do the same routine, bath, bottle bed, bath, bottle Mm -hmm. bed. And um, we were giving him his bath and he was in the bath, but he was screaming, crying. And he said that I just turned and walked away and left him in the bath. Like Barry would have been nearby, but not there. And he said, I just went into the bedroom and I was on the floor roaring crying. And um, he said that was the first time that, yeah, he noticed that there was something not right with me. Um, And, you know, I do remember sitting on the bedroom floor crying. And like, you know, when it comes from nearly your stomach, Mm. like just like Mm. crying. Um, Yeah, I just felt so lost Yeah. Um, But I think I kept on putting it down to situational. I'd always say to Barry, this is um, my sadness is just because of the situation we're in. It's really hard to be uh, living on no sleep and um, having a baby crying in your face all day, every day. I was like, how could I not be like this? But uh, as I went on, I (laughs) obviously learned that uh no it was postnatal depression and um so Barry had said to me um you know book your appointment you need to go to the doctor and I think I was in denial about it I was like Barry all I need to do is I need to go talk to someone I need to go to a counsellor um, and once I talk to someone, I'll be fine. Like a problem shared <laughs> is a problem halved, Barry. <laughs> and um, he was like, No, you need to go to the doctor and see what they say. Um, so I was fine, like I booked the appointment um for the following week, and in the meantime, um so my parents didn't know about that, but in the meantime, Barry had gone to football training one night, and I was sitting on the rocking chair in my house. I had the door open because it was a summer's evening and um, Gordon was going hysterical and I was just rocking on the chair, roaring, crying. Gordon was screaming, crying. And my dad came up to me and he said, um, is everything all right? And I would just like, I just burst into tears to him and I just said, I'm not okay. I think I have postnatal depression. And uh, so he called my mom up as well and, um, I told her as well, I was like, ma, I think I have postnatal depression. And, uh, she said, uh, sorry, <laughs> she said, uh, oh no, Emma, it's probably just baby blues. Don't worry about it. But I knew in my heart, um, I did like, I knew I wasn't well and, uh, I just, um, I made it a point from that moment on to tell everyone that, you know, if anyone asked me how I was or how things were going, I would say like I, I have postnatal depression because I didn't want it to be a taboo. Like before that, I myself wrongly would have thought um, any woman that has postnatal, you just think differently of them or that they hate their children or... um I don't know. I just thought of it's all wrong, and here I was, like I did love them, but yeah, I was suffering. Um, yeah, so I did uh, make a point of it that uh, I would tell everyone, and uh, that crossed my path. That I, yeah.
2: Can I ask you how was that received? D- did people know what to say, or how? how um, what did people say? Uh,
3: yeah. I think the reaction was mostly good. Uh surprisingly, some people would say to me, Emma, I I think I had that too. Mm. I never got diagnosed with it. Um, but I was, as they would say, crazy.
2: Yeah.
3: Um uh, the um obviously I wouldn't say who, but uh, mm-hmm. a few women did say it to me that they think they went through that as well. And It's nothing to be ashamed about. I actually didn't have a bad reaction with anyone that I told. Um, And they would always say, thankfully, fair play to you for saying Mm. Emma and um, more women suffer in silence, which they do, because it is such a taboo subject. Because, well, me, like I would have instantly thought, oh, postnatal means you don't love your baby. And it's just not true. It's just not true. Um,
0: it's
2: so powerful so, that other people said to you, yeah, me, t- yeah, me too. Yeah,
3: yeah like for you, yeah. for
2: your healing process as well.
3: Yeah, exactly. Um, because before that, I knew these women and I didn't know that about mm. them because no one, you know, just no one talks about it. Um, so, yeah, it was nice and... You just look at you just look at them differently as well like i'm I just felt sorry for them that they ever had to suffer um alone or feel like they didn't deserve help um, yeah, or the stigma uh with being diagnosed with postnatal depression um I suppose it was just different back then and mm. I do still think there is a stigma now, but I think it's changing. Um, I mean, a lot of women on this podcast have come out and said about postnatal depression and it is lovely to hear everyone's um, stories or different, uh, the way it panned out for different people. Mm -hmm. Like it is so varied. Um, Yeah, so um, I went to the doctors the following week and I told my doctor, who I love, like, and she made me do a kind of a souvenir, not a souvenir, a questionnaire. <laughs> That's tired, Bren. <laughs> a questionnaire thing um, where you, f- you think uh, there's a statement and you, if it applies to you between one and ten or one and five. And that was her way of just kind of seeing if I fit depression <laughs> And yeah, so I did. So I was put on Sertraline and yeah, it was just a massive relief because it made me have something to look forward to Mm. uh, that. I would get myself back, Um, even though the doctor had told me it could take six weeks. But uh, yeah, I was really, really hopeful um so I did start on that and I went to my counselor who I had seen previously like a few years before and I started talking to her. Yeah, I kind of threw everything at the postnail. Um like I went back to exercising, I spoke to anyone who'd listened to me about it. Uh, um I talked my husband's ears off um about everything. Um, and the same with my counsellor, who is a wonderful woman. She just, yeah, she, uh, yeah, she changed. She changed me for the better. Mm-hmm. Um, no, honestly, there's just some people that you click with in life. Mm-hmm. And um, I know that it's it's her job to uh, make you look at things differently. But yeah, she was an angel. Um, so where are we now? yeah so I'll just fast forward a bit I kind of struggled on and off like I didn't really feel any uh benefits from the surgery and I was yeah the medication I was on so I um it was upped and in the meantime I had brought Gordon back to the doctors to say he's not doing any better on this milk. Like, I don't know what to do. He's still crying. And that was the time the doctor told me, oh, this thing called purple crying period. Um, it's just some kids go through it. Um, There's nothing you can do. It's just that they, they they do grow out of it. Uh, so that was really hard to take. Um, uh, so then... I came, I got to a point, I do have a note now because I just wanted to make sure I don't uh, mix up my, Um, yeah, so say February the next year, uh, yeah, I went back to the doctors and I came off my medication because I felt it was not doing anything for me and it was actually impacting my, who I was as a person, I felt very like I'm um, disconnected to everything, i yeah I didn't care about anyone um I didn't care about myself when someone told me something good I couldn't get that feeling of excitement um you know and I was having nightmares and yeah I just felt like it wasn't doing anything for me so why would I stay on it and with these um side effects and I I honest to God I thought I was well enough to come off it I thought I was doing okay but I really wasn't like I think I was just powering through and kind of pretending I was okay or telling myself I was okay Um, and it came to a head in yeah in February when I came off and my husband had to go away for three weeks but he was home at the weekends but he was gone for three weeks to do um, training for fireman service and I had to mind Gordon by myself and I was so terrified um I organized to stay with his family and my family so that I would never have to be at home with him and like I just that alone is not normal (laughs) I don't think it is that you would be so terrified to stay with your child yeah I was really I was scared I was really scared of him um uh so I yeah I stayed with his um Barry's parents for the first week and like fair play to them they would get up with Gordon every morning so I could have a lion because he was still waking every two hours to have bottles like it was madness what we were going through and looking back now it was obviously to get rid of the pain in his belly from having the cow's milk allergy um but sure we just didn't know and um yeah so yeah I was I was uh just going full full throttle ahead like because Barry was gone so I knew I just had to motor on and just uh get through it and try be a good mob, but I needed help and there's just no way in hell that I would have been able to do it by myself um I don't know what would have happened if I know it wouldn't have been good anyways um so, I stayed with his family for a week and then I went to my family. And uh, on St. Patrick's Day, which would have been my father's birthday as well, um, I remember I just woke up and I was so sad and depressed, I suppose. And I hadn't got my dad a present because I couldn't leave the house. Like I was riddled with anxiety. And I had planned a few days before to meet my friend downtown. Um, who had a little girl who was a few weeks older than Gordon for the parade. And so I woke up on Patrick's day and I was just, you know, you're just not yourself. And my parents were to go away that day. And I had to, in one way, beg them not to go because I couldn't mind Gordon by myself. And uh, obviously... Fair play to them; they didn't go. But I just, yeah, it was like the milk, um, the bottle again. Like I just felt so useless, uh, and every time I had to ask for help, it just got worse. Like even though I was asking for help, it made me feel more useless. Do you get me? Mm-hmm. Like. Mm-hmm. Even though I needed the help, I would sit back then and think, God, you're an awful woman, like like you can't mind your child yourself. And now your parents can't go away. And sure, Gordon doesn't even like being in your company anyways. And all these thoughts, like, and I just couldn't stop my mind from racing. And I would just get myself in such a bad place where that all I was talking, the only way I was talking to myself was negatively. And, like, I was truly convincing myself I was, I was just not meant for this world. Like, Mm -hmm. I wasn't meant to be a mother. Uh, You know yourself. Like, Mm -hmm. I remember sitting with Gordon and, like, this is the only time I had a suicidal thought. I, um, I sat there with Gordon and I just, I said, he would actually be better off without me. Um like you convince yourself that um, if I if I wasn't here, he wouldn't have to look at me crying at him. And uh, I convinced myself that Barry could, you know, find someone else and they would rear Gordon together. Uh, and I really, truly thought like I I, I had said to myself in my head, like, no, this is OK, like this will be good and your family they'll be sad but they'll get over it because then they know it's the better thing to do and uh only i thank god like that i didn't continue with that thought into the following days because uh yeah i i I don't know what happened that didn't let me continue with the thoughts but uh it just didn't happen. I think um, sometimes you can go one way or the other, and uh, uh, I think it made me dig my toes harder into trying to get better, because, I don't know, it's not the truth. I might have had a counselling session the next day or that, and I told Helen, and um, that's what saved me. But... uh, Yeah, you think of all the women that don't get the chance to talk to someone else Mm. or, uh, you know, don't have the money to talk to someone else. Um, Yeah, so that was a real eye-opener of how unwell I was. And um, I this continued on, this up and down, up and down. And um, in July just uh, just gone there i actually had another <laughs> mental breakdown um which actually changed who i am today like because when i did message you the first time i truly thought i was better i honestly god i thought yeah i have this because in the message i sent you i said yeah i uh, yeah i'm getting better now i'm handling the bossnell like i hadn't even I hadn't even begun my journey with postnatal. I I just hadn't, but I didn't know that. Um, I remember reading
2: your message. I was sitting out in the sun in the back garden. I know. Reading email. Yeah.
3: I know. And you're probably thinking, oh, look, fair play to her. And I thought to myself, fair play to myself. Now it's over. And it hadn't even begun. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So um, I, in July this year, so I had got to a point where I thought, um, I need to do something um, to help other women. Because, apologies now, I actually had joined a postnatal depression group. Mm -hmm. Um, So when I was actually struggling with all my thoughts and everything, I, like vigorously searched online to try and find somewhere I could go on to someone to help me and I found it extremely hard to find something in Ireland um to even find the mental health midwife's phone number to call her to I don't know everything just seems so fucking difficult
2: yeah closed um, off I couldn't believe it yeah
3: I, like I just yeah. I just couldn't believe it um there was no number I could ring to to go directly for postnatal depression in the hospital or anything like that but I came across a website called postnatal depression Ireland and I wrote a message in and just saying that I was looking for somewhere in Offaly or in the Midlands that I could go talk to someone and this is a cork based group and um They got back to me, they messaged me and they told me that they had Zoom meetings with other women and to join. So I missed the first one, but I joined the next one. And yeah, it was brilliant. Like it was so just uh, therapeutic to talk to other women who were going through it. Um, No judgment. Everyone just told their story or the week's. Uh, events and um yeah the the woman Madge is her name Madge Fogarty she just listen or help and tell you tell you like everything's all right or journal your feelings and you just knew she was always there for you if you needed like if you called her she will answer or she will call you back and um just to mention that that is a brilliant group um, if anyone is struggling, um, the sad thing about it is their meetings, um, their morning club, uh, so only happens down in Cork or Kerry, and uh, there's nothing else in like the rest of Ireland, uh, which is really, excuse my language, fucked up. <laughs> um, Maybe we could. It's, we not could fault. It's, it's not their fault. It's.
2: Sure, there's something Um, that we could do if I could get in touch. Just between you and that, there has to be something. Yeah,
3: that's what I'm. There has to be, Cora. Like, I yeah. So, in July last year, this was my line of thinking. I was like, I am going to do something now. For even in just my town, I need to set up something um, just for women to come talk to. I whatever. I had. I just thought I was strong enough to do it, but it turned out I just wasn't. I was really, really about to hit my lowest point and, and um, I i don't know what happened I was in work so obviously I work for my family Barry's family I mean and my mother-in-law was supposed to take Gordon in work she was going to mind Gordon and work and um, she texted Barry to say um, no that she was going to mind him at home And for whatever reason, I just flipped my lid, like, because all along I just felt like I had no control over, I just, I just felt like I was losing control. And this small little thing of him not being where I thought it was going to be just, just sent me in an absolute tizzy. I had to leave work like I was roaring, crying. And um, I just, I went home with Gordon I, I like I took Gordon and I went home and I just texted Barry and I just said, I, I can't do this anymore. Like, I can't work anymore. I can't. I don't know who I am. Like, I don't know what's wrong with me. Do I need to go to like a psychiatric ward? Like what's happening? I I can't do this anymore, Barry. And um, he told me to come back down to work to talk to uh, his parents, Paul and and Catherine and uh I couldn't go down at that point. Like I, I I I was just in too much of a tizzy, but uh I eventually went back down to them. It might have been that evening or the next day, I can't really remember. Um and I sat down with them and they were a fair play to them. They had a serious conversation with me mm-hmm. and they told me this is not about work, Emma, and um this is about you and they just said that we don't care if you don't want to work but we just want the old Emma back and that really really got to me because that's exactly what I wanted as well I just wanted the old me back more than anything and um, they told me they'd support me in whatever I wanted to do or whatever I needed to do they said you need to go back to the doctor you can still go counselling but it's not what you need Obviously, they're not doctors, but they said, I think you need medication because you're not in your right mind, basically. And uh, yeah, it was the best thing that could have happened to me because sometimes you need someone that's not you or your husband to say that Mm. that you need help. (laughs) Um, And I rang my counsellor that day and had an emergency appointment with her that very day and I rang the doctors and I had the doctors the next day and I just laid it all out there and um, like I'd never rang for an emergency appointment for anything so I was like oh this is it I'm going to the psychiatric ward in Leash, blah 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 and uh, when I met with Helen the counsellor she just said like Emma if you have to go to a psychiatric ward, well, I may have to go with you because you're okay. Like I Emma, mean, you're going to be okay. And it was, yeah, it was really beautiful to hear her <laughs> telling me I was going to be okay because it gave me the strength to believe I'm going to be okay. So when I went to the doctors the next day, I was put on new medication, which um, makes you drowsy as well. So you take it at night time and it helps you sleep. So that was a double whammy. And, like, I have to say, ever since that happened in July, I maybe had a couple of blips, but like, I've been on the up and up. And uh, if you had told me at the start it was going to take 18 months for you to get better, like, Mm. I don't know, like, I don't know how I would have taken it. But with things like this, I think it's impossible to get better straight away. It's just one of those things where you have to heal. And uh, try out different things to see what does work for you. And, um, yeah, I don't really know what else to say about it. Just um, like if anyone's listening, uh, that you are worth trying to get better for. um, Always, always. Mm. Like your family and your children need you. um, And you deserve the help and uh there's always someone that's going to
0: listen
3: there really
2: is mm. uh, yeah and it upsets me so much and it's just so touchy for me yeah. i just get upset when i hear because there's all these towns are growing and you see all yeah. these mothers starting their families and there's there's sweet fuck all no. to support no, I know it's just no, awful it yeah it you
3: is know, and it you is. don't
2: well, you don't want to talk to like when you're in the When you're feeling like you're having a shit day. Yeah. You don't want to talk to someone you don't know. Like all you need. Well, it depends. There's so many different.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
2: But you just need someone to just drop, drop a flower out your door, drop a hot coffee to your door. That's all. And there's no community nowadays. And it breaks my heart.
3: Yeah. And it's ridiculous because if you think about it, I was only saying this earlier, like, um, so years and years ago, when you were rearing a child, like, it was not a singular thing that you and your husband just embarked on. Like there was a whole community that helped you. Mm. Like People would take care of the woman when she had given birth, you know, make sure she has everything, make sure she has dinners, make sure she has this, that, and the other. I just, it's become such a lonely, lonely thing to do. And like Mm. you can say, oh, but you decided to have the child. No one made you have the child, but like, I didn't think it was going to be as lonely as it was. I really didn't. Um, uh, And there is major work to be done. And as you, like you said, like there should be a community for the women, for the families, even like... um, um well this
2: podcast has got to make such a difference this episode so thank you yeah, so much for sharing no
3: problem I, yeah. I, I would like to just end on a poem that i saw that mm. someone wrote yeah, yeah it, i just found it really nice and um it's only short it's um from a woman called Rachel i think it's called the postpartum life is the name of her um blog or whatever but i'll just read it mm. so um she says, still beneath warm wet of blankets, quiet in soft darkness, rain patters steadily, steadily, wash away the hollowness, wash away the tears, wash away this aching darkness that consumes me with its fears, cocooned with heavy, heavy, secluded from gleeful cries and the little feet that patter and dance upon my heart. I lie apart, waiting, hibernating, hibernating fatigued from carrying this heavy shadow that only I can see, longing to be free, longing to dance free, rain, rain, wash over me and set me free, set me free.
2: I just thought that was
3: so beautiful. Mm. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Oh, in bits. (laughs) Thank you. No, thanks a million for letting me share my story. And it's actually so... Uh, therapeutic for me to be able to just go through everything and speak what I wanted to speak Um, it's a beautiful space you have thank
2: you I appreciate everyone who shares the story because you don't have to go into as much detail as you did and I know unfortunately there are are a lot of people who feel similar to you did similar to how you did and hopefully can feel how you feel now the other the other side of it hopefully that's that's where you are go to bed have a good sleep and I'll be in touch thank you so much
3: yeah that's lovely thanks a million Kavara have a good sleep you too bye Bye.
1: (laughs) planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince